Welcome back to the One Kid to Go podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Bailey. Uh, so today is episode four of our podcast. And I wanted to just start by saying, hey, sorry, we did not get this at the beginning of the week like we usually do. We like you to have the podcast so that uh, you can listen to it while commuting during the week. But we got a little bit delayed. And uh, the reason for the delay is the weather. Quite frankly, it has been so nice here in Vermont. We had three consecutive days where there wasn't a cloud in the sky. So as you can imagine, we were all out riding. So it's been great. Um, Group rides are picking up. Uh, We've got a lot of planned rides that people are posting. And people are just getting out on their bikes. And the roads are clear and clean. So things are really looking good for our scene. This past weekend, most of the riders from the 1K to Go Sports Racing squad were uh, at the Waterbury Gravel Grinder, um, as it implies, in Waterbury, Vermont. Now, this is a gravel grinder. Um, It's designed to raise funds for WADA, which is the area trail association that is obviously responsible for for keeping the trails well maintained in the Waterbury area. And if you haven't been in mountain biking in quite some time, uh, then you don't know that these trails now are are so impeccably kept. They're they're groomed, they're flowy, they've got double jumps, they've got tabletops. It's not like that old school Vermont mountain biking where everything was just rocky and rooty and rough. Sure, there's still plenty of that, and it's an amazingly tough workout, but what goes into creating these flowy trails that you've heard of, it's just incredible. So the Waterbury Gravel Grinder was a great event. I hope that uh, with all the attendees that were there, you guys raised a lot of funds. You definitely deserve it. You put on a killer event. Not only was it a great course, but you also had some really cool things along the way. I, I particularly loved the, uh, the Zen Bar. We rode right up, walked through it, uh, took a shot of maple whiskey, and continued on our day. Um, so that was really cool. Lots of really well-supported support areas. Uh, where food and drink was available um, to include at the top of that Camel's Hump Road where you guys greeted us with uh, energy food and cookies and Miller High Life. That was definitely the the highlight of that climb before continuing back down to what was an awesome barbecue um, and fundraising event. So thank you guys for putting that on. I know our team really enjoyed being there. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Today's episode was recorded live from Bolton, Vermont at the residence of Dr. Kevin Dunahoe of CyclingDoctor.com and Vermont Pain Relief. Now, Dr. Kevin has been a longtime friend of the 1K to Go Sports Racing Program. He's a racer, and obviously he is involved with our team at a sponsorship level. But what's really cool about this podcast is that so far we've spoken about events and lifestyle and coaching. What we're talking about today is how Kevin approaches the body of a cyclist. Now, it's not just about those professional racers who have full access to massage therapy and physical therapy and health and nutrition coaching and performance coaching. Nope, this is about the everyday Joe or the everyday cyclist that a lot of people on this team have evolved into. So when you think about the rigors that we put our body through, that include family and a full-time job and, and ailments, but as well as intense cycling on the weekends or weekday, um, it's really important to know how to take care of your body. And so I think you'll find that this is a very helpful podcast because you're going to have the resources available to you just in case you're not feeling at your best. Let's face it, none of us are delusional to think that we're going to be competing against Chris Froome at the Tour de France, but we still want to be the best that we can be. And part of that is understanding what your body is doing and having a solid regimen to take care of it. So look forward to talking to you all about that today.
Welcome to the 1K to Go podcast. We're back again with a guest that I'm incredibly excited for. Um, this podcast has been some time in the making. Uh, we've discussed having this uh, this guest on here because he's a sponsor of our, our cycling program, but really because he's an all-around interesting guy. So on today's episode, we have uh, Mr. Kevin Dunahoe, and Kevin Dunahoe is the man behind CyclingDoctor.com. But really, we're going to get into that at the end. It's really so much more than that. It's it's a guy who's heavily involved in sport, whether it be schemo, which we're going to talk about, uh, cycling, which we're obviously going to talk about, and then, of course, what he's doing with his business, cyclingdoctor.com. So I want to welcome you to the podcast, Kevin. Say hello to the listeners. Thanks, Bobby. Yeah. Um, but in order to, to kind of set the stage here... Um, I think what we're going to do is we're going to talk about you know our, our usual approaches of the hashtag local glory throwback to whatever happened this past week. And really, we didn't have any major events or anything that we were racing, but I'd say Tuesday Night Worlds, which is our local group ride, finally kicked off. Um, something that you're familiar with, which is probably one of the more rugged group rides in, in the land. Yeah, I, I wish I could make it, but there's still snow on the ground. Oh, uh, we're going to get into that. We're, no, we're going to get into that because I'm going to razz you for that for sure. Um, but Tuesday Night Worlds is, is the local Burlington, Vermont group ride, and it's always kicking off at the end of April, beginning of May, just because of our weather. And when it kicks off, it is piss and vinegar from the get-go. Um, one of the groups that Kevin actually works with is the, the UVM cycling program. And those guys come out just absolutely swinging. And when we call it Tuesday Night Worlds group ride, it's not. I mean, it's a, it's a legitimate race. It's an hour and a half at threshold. Um, did you do many of them last year? Yeah, I did a, a handful of them, but I've done quite a few over the years. And uh, it's definitely race pace, yeah. uh, all out. And you can either you know go for the sprints or just try to... Hold on until the hard part. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, for me in, in the transition, and you'll, you'll find out this year, is, you know, the UVM kids, you know, we got Mikey Owens, we got Maddie Owens, Cooper Wilsey showed up. Um, Which one of those is Garbage Twin, by the way? I, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I got to find out. Garbage Twin. Yeah, this is Strava. Oh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw out a, a bet here, and we can verify this later, but I'm going to guess if it's Garbage Twin, it's Maddie. Because his twin sister is Megan. Uh, I got that right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, Maddie okay. and Megan, Makes and then Mikey sense. is Makes the uh, you know the the, the 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 spawn that came <laughs> after. Um, but those kids are flying right now. And when we talk about like cycling and performance, it's because well, one, they're, they're incredibly gifted cyclists, but they've also been racing since February. So you can't compete with that. And I remember you know years ago, I was always at the front of this thing. And now, man, like I'm not. I'll confess right now, man. I'm I'm second grouper, you know. So <laughs> nice. It, Good it, to have some company. Yeah. No, I mean it's true, man. I'm like, hey, nice to meet you. And they'd be like, I've been riding with you for four years. Like, oh, I don't know. I'm usually up the road. Not anymore. <laughs> um, so the throwback, you know, today's local glory. I want to shout out to Tuesday Night Worlds. It's a it's our local ride race and. Everybody's flying right now. Everybody's jazzed. We got the one kid to go crew out there, and I'm guessing that um, the next segue into this is is with Kevin. But you're going to be out there soon enough, right? Definitely. And the reason why you haven't been, and I can't believe that I'm going to bring this up because you know how I feel about this whole thing, <laughs> is schemo, right? Yeah, ski mountaineering. Yeah. So for the listeners, uh, Kevin is I don't know, man. I mean, like you are you are into it. Schemo took hold of me. Uh, a few years ago, 
And uh, it's an incredible fitness activity that you do over the winter. And there's so much stoke involved in it uh, <laughs> that, you know, I just, I just can't give it up until the snow is gone. Right. But when you say the snow is gone, like I think I saw pictures of you last week and I think you, you biffed it on like a, a bridge or something like that. I don't know if that was two weeks ago. But yeah. it sounds like you're kind of skiing on what's left of snow, which isn't much. Yeah, uh, Stowe's got like top to bottom coverage right now, but it's not going to be there for long. And Boltron, we've got the Boltron Glacier about halfway up the mountain. That's going to be gone soon. And before you know it, I'll be doing some rides. Last year, I was uh, racing with my third ride of the season. I just went straight from Schemo to cycling. Yeah and racing on my third day on the bike um so which a testament right to the fitness yeah. that you get from schema so yeah. and i'm not sure if everybody understands because i'm and i'm not going to act like i do um but when we're talking about schema and the fact that you can still ski when you've got you know the boltron glacier there's an aspect of it that has nothing to do i mean obviously the whole thing has nothing to do with lift service right so anything right. that you're skiing you're ultimately earning right i go up uh, under my own power and uh, then rip down so it the skis allow you to go places where the lifts don't bring you and uh, away from the crowds and you can get some flow like mountain biking and it's just like the greatest uh, wintertime activity you could ask for now is this something that is more grounded in mountaineering because it seems like you also have that part that's that's racing which i'm guessing isn't the is that the masses are probably not racing so like what's like the what's like the what's the up and up on the whole thing is ski mountaineering kind of like gravel riding where everybody can do it but there's obviously guys at the very front guys and girls at the very front pushing the limits yep we've got weekly schema races up at bolton valley all winter and everybody shows up all kinds of athletes uh cyclists and runners and uh other folks and on every type of gear it's like showing up to a triathlon on a mountain bike or a cyclocross bike or a road bike or a triathlon bike right, like um, your twelve thousand dollar tri bike right. all the way down to the every, tandem yeah there's a whole assortment of gear and so it really matters and so the schemo nerds like myself show up on, you know, the lightest weight stuff and we're really like the roadies. And then there's like the mountain bike people that show up on the heaviest possible gear that's really good on the downhill, but not so great on the uphill. And, um, you know, the whole training spectrum uh, also goes, you know, that way. Like uh, John Spinney, he's one of our schemo Nerds. Nerds. <laughs> I knew you right, So John Spinney, for everybody, that you know, John, we had on the podcast, um, talked a lot about, I, you know, we didn't go into schemo because, again, my feelings of it are I, I scoff when I'm hibernating all winter while you guys are out there gaining incredible fitness. But, yeah, he's, he's incredibly into it, right? So it's, and he came into this season in incredible fitness. Yeah. For sure. Who are some of the other, and I only know from, like, the cycling community, so, like, who are some of the other secret stealthy schemo nerds who are obviously coming out to crush cyclists with the same fitness sheldon miller oh really yeah all right 
he he's crushing it. Um, nice. Actually, just saw his Strava from the day of Rasputitsa, and so he went and skied the same thing that I skied today at Stowe to the summit of Mount Mansfield, and he called it Raspu Ski Stuff. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so he eschewed the Rasputitsa bike race uh, in favor of a little ski on his own. Nice. So Strava is a thing with Schemo, because obviously there are, I'm guessing, mapped out routes, right? Like you guys kind yeah, of know where to go. lots of segments. And so you guys are on Strava. I've both. made like... 80% of them. Nice, nice. <laughs> You're like the king of the nerds. Yeah, definitely. That's awesome. Well, and to set the scene, um, we're podcasting currently from from Kevin's residence off the Bolton Access Road in, Bur- in Bolton, Vermont. And so, you know, what I get is a text from Kevin saying like, hey, here's my address, right? And I, I know the Bolton Access Road. Um, unfortunately, I've biked it probably, probably only like four times in the 20 years that I've lived here. <laughs> but... Uh, he sent me his address and he said, okay, you know, pull up and park next to my FJ cruiser. And, you know, I, I show up and it's, you know, it's a, definitely a mountainside condo type setup, but I knew which was your unit because I was facing a porch, <laughs> which you guys will see, you know, from some drone footage, but I'm facing a porch that had like, what is it? A couple mountain bikes hanging over the edge and probably seven or eight pairs of skis. At least. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was, it was pretty obvious. Um, whose place I was coming to. Um, so back, back to the schemo thing though, man, the, there's a, there's a certain aspect of fitness that you get from it. And I think like, we'll get into the cycling side of it, but what I know of Kevin is, is that when you're done with schemo and you've actually said this before, after schemo is done, you spend the rest of the cycling season getting out of shape. So talk <laughs> about like, maybe that's just you, like how many days of, 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 skiing slash touring slash schemo did you get on the mountain this year the mountains 134 days on snow on skis which actually matches my previous record from a couple years ago when we had a good season so i'm going for 140 at least or maybe 150 if i can i'll be skiing into june or july if possible uh we're but, talking like what, Mount Washington? Yeah, well, I'll be going to Mount Washington as much as possible um, over the next month, and uh, and it's great. It's great for me because it's actually the opposite kind of fitness activity that I'm suited for. Because I'm kind of uh, like I'm not like super skinny, so it's all about going uphill. And right. when I get on the bike, I avoid hills as much as possible because yeah, I like, I like to go fast on the flats yeah. and shorter the distance, the better, the flatter, the better. And so ski mountaineering is basically the opposite. So, but when you, and this is like the segue that I was looking for is like, so I know you do the schemo thing and you get incredibly, you know, lean because there is so much of the uphill and just the sustained effort. And obviously you're doing a lot of days, you know, at that high intensity. But uh, I think I, I, I remember last year, right? And I'm not a climber, but I'm probably more of a climber than you, right? And I'm dedicated to cycling, De- right? Definitely. So like by the time you hang up your skis and you get on your bike, I've probably got, I'd say, and it's not consistent, obviously, but I've probably got a couple months of training under my belt. And you and I did, it was either Tuesday Night Worlds or the Wednesday night GMBC uh, ride that was going on. And you and I hit Irish Hill, which 
sucks for both of us, right? Mm-hmm. But we kind of went up it at a pace, and I was like, all right, this will be this will be me setting the pace. And you lit it up at the top of that thing. <laughs> and I was like, what? Like, this probably was like, the, like your bike probably had like dirt on it from last year. <laughs> you know? And I kind of asked you, I was like, dude, I was like, what the, like, I just was like on the ribbit and you just, you basically sprinted up the steepest pitch of Irish Hill. And I remember you made some comment about Schemo. So what is it about Schemo that kind of enables you to go from zero to hero on a bike you know, as soon as you're yeah. done with it. Yeah, at that point, I think I'd probably been on the bike like a week and a half. And, it makes me feel a little better. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, but and, and what's crazy is that's the first time I I think I've ever beaten you in any kind of sprint <laughs> of any kind. Uh, I did 100 miles that day. Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I skied up to the top of Mount Mansfield twice that day. Which is uh, probably actually y- true. Y- yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, I was just trying to spin, 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 stay seated until that final super steep pitch of Irish Hill. And then I just shifted down like three gears, stood up and let loose. Because yeah. all I've really got for real is 15 seconds right. <laughs> of super intense power. Yeah. And that's what got me over. And you probably remember I was still breathing hard about 10 minutes later. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that you actually have a recollection, we both have a recollection of this. It was, it was a monumentous time for both of us. <laughs> I realized I was like, Oh, I'm not the racer I used to be. And, and you know, you obviously smashed me. So I'm glad I'm glad. Um, well, that's cool, man. So like, you know, as I, as I, I think I chatted you a bunch of times this past winter, kind of like, okay, what am I going to do? Am I going to get into this schemo thing? Because I was definitely looking, right. thinking about getting into the bandwagon. So this is a question that I like to ask a lot of our guests is, how does somebody get into the sport of schemo? Like, what's like the, what's like the low barrier of entry for somebody oh who might not be the schemo nerd, but wants to get out there and do what you guys do? Yeah, it takes at least some kind of skiing background, I think. Okay. Um, some runners have gotten into it. Uh, but, boy, I think there's a greater barrier to entry into the sport than cycling, unfortunately. Um, it, yeah, so what, like, when we're talking about that, is that a... Is that a physiological thing or is there's, this an equipment thing? There's a skills-based thing. I don't think it's physiology because, um, you know, a guy like Killian Journey, who's like the top mountain runner in the world and happens to be the top schemo racer in the world, uh, he's climbed Mount Everest and, you know, he's, he's kind of like this mountain runner guy. Um, you know, he just jumped right in there and, and became the greatest in the world and, and local people, you know, with a running background, a lot of them get into it. Um, but I think you have to have some level of comfort with skiing. Right. And right. Cause you can go uphill as fast as your physiological capabilities yeah. allows you. But if you get to the top and point your skis downhill and you end up <laughs> naked because you've crashed yeah. so many times yeah. like you're probably not going to be successful yeah usually i'm uh the fastest guy down the mountain but i'm about you know 10th fastest up the mountain okay. and there are a lot of guys that can go up the mountain super fast uh you know and that's kind of what it's all about 
mostly. That's where you save the most time. Right. So like if you were, there's no such thing as a downhill section that's going to make up for somebody who can go incredibly fast up. Right. Yeah. You can get back uh, 15 seconds on the downhill, but you could, you could crush somebody by five minutes on the so, uphill. So it's really a climber sport. Yeah, it is. All right. I'm out. Sure. I'm out, man. You know what I mean? Like, like, cause like part of me is like, oh, you know, and there's a lot of like pacing and road racing, and I'm like, that's cool. Like, I'm gonna lose 30 seconds to you on this climb, but I'm gonna time trial it back on the downhill. You know, and I'll push a 54, or I'll catch you on the flats, and that's doable. But this sounds like, but look, not I the won't case. even do a cycling road race because the hills are yeah. too hard for me. And uh, but I keep it pretty competitive with the schemo. Uh, uh, despite not being built for it, not having a physiology for it. Um, because there's a lot of other variables like the transition speed, transitioning from uphill to downhill, and then transitioning from downhill to uphill. And that's an equipment changeover? like Yeah, yeah, a slight equipment changeover that uh, you have to do in order to you know, go down or go up. Right. And so I'm good at that. And then, um, you know, I'm good at going down. Uh, so I catch people there. If you don't get enough of a, a gap on me yeah. going to the top. So when you're I'm talking about it. like, you know, these are, these are multi-lap events then? Yeah. Uh, at the ones at Bolton is, they're basically just as many laps as you can do in one hour. And so the top guys usually do three or four laps, uh, depending on the course. And so we're getting about 3000 vertical feet in an hour, which is a good, good amount. And yeah, it's a, it's a sick workout and it makes it really awesome because you're bombing down the mountain in the dark, uh, you know, at night. With no, your own lights? or Yeah, your own lights. Okay. No gates or anything. You just stick your skis straight down and go as fast as you possibly can. And my Strava has topped out over 50 miles per hour. It's usually around 45. Wow. Um, All right, so now maybe I'm interested a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. It's super fun. You get to, it's like a, just a rip down the mountain without, you know, anybody in your way. That's amazing. So then, all right, so that's that's kind of like, the, so the barrier of entry then for skills is obviously, you know, walking or running uphill, so to speak. You can probably figure that out pretty quick, but then you're going to be limited if you don't have the skills or the comfort to go downhill at 40 miles an hour. But what about equipment, right? Because when we think about road cycling, like you're incredibly, like you can buy a bike and do the same thing that we do, but you're going to be limited if your bike weighs 25 pounds and mine weighs 15.1 pounds, right? So... When you're talking about equipment, um, walk me through like the idea of, hey, I want to try ski mountaineering versus I want to race skimo. Yeah, so you can pick up a, a ski mountaineering or alpine touring setup for under $1,000, but uh, the, like the ultimate lightweight racing setup will be you know, 15 hundred to two thousand dollars uh depending you're basically buying probably weight reduction yep it's weight reduction and yeah uh these skis are amazing though Uh, i didn't think that i would enjoy these tiny little lightweight short narrow skis um but it turned out that i ended up spending about 50 percent of my days on these skis because they're so versatile in so many 
conditions. They don't look like they would be, but they're super fun. And, you know, going uphill fast is super fun. And then going downhill fast on these things, they rip, they carve, they do everything that you want to do. Nice. That's cool. All right. So, oh, God, I can't believe I've dedicated that much time to schemo. <laughs> that was painful. Um, okay, moving on here. So, <laughs> the, the idea here, though, is that everybody knows that New England has a very, you know, diverse seasonal landscape, right? So, the fact that I'm probably on Zwift for an hour and you're schemoing for hours on end and having the social scene. It's awesome. So I joke about it like I'm not into it. Um, but I, I would probably, I mean, I'm guessing it's one of those things that if I did it once, I'd be all in and I'd have, uh, you know, the whole ski setup like you. So I'm trying to avoid that, you know, with kids and, and paying for that sort of thing. So, but what we're really here to talk about is cycling. And I think that what's really interesting and I want, I want people and I want listeners to know is that you're a unique character on the bike. You know, you come from cycling from way back in the day. I believe you started with collegiate, right? Oh, that, man, it goes way back. It goes uh, beyond that. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how you started? Ah, oh, geez. Uh, I could go into my childhood, but uh, when I was 16, I actually went to France and lived in France for a year and rode and raced on this uh, local club team uh, that was, it was Charlie Motet's, uh local club team. And so... The level of stoke that was there in that in my little town was incredibly high because yeah. we had a guy like him. I don't know if anybody remembers Charlie Mote, but yeah. he was a perennial top five in the Tour de France, and you know he could time trial, he could climb, and I'm not. I don't think he ever won the Tour, no. but he was a top dude, and uh, you know. I knew that France was kind of like the epicenter of cycling back in the 80s. And, you know, the these, like, you know, radio programs uh, that I listened to, because we couldn't watch the tour in the 80s, in the early 80s. Uh, all I would get would be some, some radio about this guy, Greg LeMond, that was winning the Tour de France, you know, this, yeah. this epic European thing. And so that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to go over there and see what that was all about. And so I, uh, I lived in this town called romans sur isere and I bought a Mercier bicycle used. Uh, the club team uh, actually helped me find a bike. They found me clothes. They just gave me an entire like winter and summer uh, kit. Uh, however, the chamois for the cycling tights had a big shit stain right down the middle <laughs> <laughs> and, and so we we scrubbed it and scrubbed it and scrubbed it and couldn't get it out and, and that was so, a national chamois back in the day yeah so that was, that was i just locked in there for good yeah i just wore it and we couldn't get it out so i just wore it and then about i don't know about eight months later i returned it when i was gonna come back to the united states i returned it but I was hoping that they didn't think it was mine. Well, this is proof, I think, that um, shit is not all only a substance. It's also a color. 
right? Definitely. So I imagine the times you scrubbed it, like it was just you just had color left, right? Definitely so, no bacteria left. Yeah, a little bit of science for the listeners. Something in <laughs> there is actually a color. Seriously, it's a, it's a yeah. pretty persistent uh, <laughs> stain. <laughs> That's amazing. So, what were you doing over there at age sixteen? Uh, just going to school. I was just doing a, an exchange program, learning French. Uh, really turned out to be the most pivotal moment of my life. Uh, changed my life from you know from that point on. Yeah. And uh, I just loved being involved in uh, that whole Euro cycling culture and uh, going out on rides all the times in, in the foothills of the Alps. It's good times. That's awesome. So, I mean, that's, I think, I want everybody to realize, and I don't mean to put you on the spot. Well, that's not really put you on the spot, but compliment you. But you're definitely one of the most interesting characters. And it sounds like thanks that comes from, but you are. Like, you have a background. Like, who can, like, I, I've never raced or ridden in Europe, right? Um, you understand the, the culture. And actually, it's funny because I wrote something today at work of all things to a group of non-cyclists describing how cycling was the most romantic, beautiful and hardest sport in the world, right? Obviously maybe we're a little bit biased, but you've experienced that, right? And yeah. you you come into it with with that background and maybe people don't know about it, but but currently, you know, so when you and I came to know each other in cycling, I think you were wearing just kind of blacked out gear. You had kind of had like a uh, uh, a one piece, like a skin suit, right? A one piece yeah. outfit that had no logos on it. Um, I remember you had a bike that was just set up for speed, it's like just a time trial bike, and yeah, but it yep. was like time trial bike with the lightest saddle that you could possibly <laughs> run, slammed in the front. I'll never forget this. You had the uh, you had the weatherproof iPhone holder, like you <laughs> you basically <laughs> invented the cycling uh, computer I, with duct tape. Yeah. I have to add oh, like, yeah. with duct tape if because, necessary. Well, because you didn't want the wind, like it had to go over the duct tape. <laughs> oh, over the right, phone. right. The arrow component, the yeah. arrow component of it. But I mean, you, you're into it, man. Yeah. And, and it's not as if you're just like a guy who's into it for the tech. Like you actually have a background in in the sport. Yeah. yeah. So you know, so after your um, after you lived in, in France and whatnot, tell us a little bit about like you know your cycling background. So back in uh, upstate New York, where I grew up in Plattsburgh, uh, across the lake, across Lake Champlain, there really wasn't much of a cycling scene other than this um, time trial that had been going on since the mid seventies, and that was really it. I was kind of far removed from the racing scene of New England. Uh, but that time trial was legendary. Mm -hmm. And uh, so basically, I just set out to, uh, you know, hold the record on that. It was somewhere, I guess it was down around um, 21 and a half and for a 10 mile time trial. And uh, I finally... 21 and a half miles an hour. Uh, no, oh. uh, 21, oh, the time. Mi 21 minutes, oh, okay. 21 and a half minutes for a 10 mile okay, time so trial. Okay, so th this is the TT that you and I went yeah, over we, with Amy. We, okay, yep, so Amy so Miner set the record so, on that. Yeah, so obviously not 21 and a half miles an hour is the time because that's yeah. actually a relatively flat TT. Yep, okay. yep, right by the lake. So sometimes the wind could be insane, but uh, it was a great course usually had good pavement and really quiet as far as cars and yeah. whatnot. But uh, I I think I did it for 10 years and finally set the record. 
Oh, and nice. then that record stood for 20 years until Kevin Bouchard Hall beat it a few years ago. Yeah. And uh, I challenged him to, uh, I still have the bike that I, I set it on, one of these big fat tube Cannondale uh, bikes with hardly any aero equipment. Yeah. And uh, I was, I invited him to, uh, to try to, try to go set the record again on yeah. my old bike. Uh, but he declined. Uh, he's smart. And so for people that don't know Kevin, um, Kevin Bouchard-Hall, uh, brother to Derek Bouchard-Hall, current president of USA Cycling. But but Kevin is a monster. So Kevin actually raced for my team back in 2003. I'll never forget, he got second at Univest that year. Um, you know, we went as a team, but he did it all on his own. It was incredible. But Kevin is one of those, you know, when you realize someone like Kevin is coming back into the sport, you're like, oh boy. Like, you know, he's not coming in as like a father of two. He's coming in as Kevin, which is, you know, incredibly gifted. So I don't know, man. I'm going to throw this out there right now, Kevin. Like if, if I'm going to, I'm challenging you because I know you can do it, but take, take, take it back. T- you, know, well, you know, Kevin Bouchard Hall, take Kevin Dunahoe up on the challenge <laughs> right? to do it on this bike go. because that's go. legendary, man. It might be a little too small for him, but Whatever. I'm sure yeah. we could find like yeah. a bigger framed uh, Cannondale 3.0. No, nah, he's got to do it on that exact bike. It, it was a frame from 1990. Uh, it was a hand-me-down from the High Peak Cycling Team, yeah. cy- Cyclery Team uh, from Lake Placid, and uh, it had probably seen several other riders before me, yeah. and uh, and yeah, I did it in '95 on that yeah. piece of crap. It's awesome. Well, I mean, I think I you know, in, I hold a lot of the records locally, and I tried to do it the, the year that we went, and definitely fell short. So you beat a, my time. Oh, I did. I beat your original record. Didn't but, beat Bouchard uh, Halls. Yeah. You know what? That's one of those ones. That's, it's gone. It's lost. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, right. I don't know if I'll ever get back to try to challenge that, but oh well, all good. Um, so with cycling, you know, fast forward a little bit to the era that you got involved with the 1K to go cycling program. Um, you're somewhat unique in your approach. And then I think that like, you know, we were always very much heavily a road team or a crit team. Um, but you actually, not only did you do crits and, uh, well, you know, I'm sure you did some circuit races. I know you tried to avoid the hilly road races, but you're the one guy on the team that actually goes up and does some track. Yeah. So, you know, that's just something that I think anybody who is in cycling is envious of whoever has access to a track. So why don't you tell us a little bit about like what your background in track cycling is? So I really have... Virtually no background in track cycling, uh, but I always wanted to do it for years and years and years. Uh, at one point, I was actually going to move to Colorado Springs, uh, and uh, then I got engaged, and then that didn't happen. Uh, and I still kept on thinking about it over the years, and then found out that Bromont, Quebec, uh, the municipality of Bromont, Quebec, actually bought the Atlanta Olympic track and disassembled it brought it up to bromont quebec and reassembled it up there and so that's only an hour and 40 minutes from burlington so uh it's an amazing venue and it's kind of subsidized and it's only like 15 dollars to ride it they also have uh, a whole fleet of felt track bikes for 15 dollars each as well they have instruction 
and they have uh, Friday and Saturday night races all oh, summer wow. long, including, and then they have uh, Omniums on uh, Sunday, which uh, turn out to be some big races like the Quebec uh, Championships uh, and lots of stuff like that. Well, that's cool. So you know, there's a lot of people that listen to this that I strong arm into actually listening that don't have a lot to, to do with cycling. So it's really interesting. So what Kevin's talking about is when he talks about a track, it's actually a velodrome, right? Mm-hmm. And when he mentioned that they purchased the velodrome from the Atlanta Olympics, right? This is actually a wooden yeah. structure. And what people don't realize, I mean, I think there are, there's some great velodromes and I don't, I don't discount any of them, but, um, you know, they're cement or they might not be banked to the specifications, but, this particular velodrome is actually from the Olympics, and it was transported up there and reassembled, right? Yep. As a wooden track. Yeah. And with track cycling, you know, I think if anybody's ever been to a, a NASCAR race, they realize that you know most cars parked on the banks of the track would probably roll down it and, and tip over, <laughs> right? Because like the 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 corners are banked. Yeah, it's pretty steep. This one's particularly steep. It's a 250 meter track, and uh, they have to bank it appropriately so that when you're cruising around at 40 45 miles an hour, you you know you're still flat, but you're sideways. Yeah, right? yeah exactly. Yeah. Uh, so it's a really cool feeling to be going around a banking that that's steep you actually have to be going at least 18 miles per hour just to be on the banked part so uh there's a bit of a fitness barrier you can't Uh, just ease your way into it you kind of have to just go a certain speed some people all they can do is sprint to be on the banked part of the track interesting uh And, and you're also on a bike what people don't understand is there's uh, they're fixed gear. So the bicycle is not, it does not allow you to freewheel, meaning that as long as the bike's moving forward, your legs have to be moving forward, which also right. means that at no point can you stop moving and grab on the brakes because there are no brakes. Right. Yeah. And, and the urge sometimes when you're tired is to coast. And if you forget, if you, you're spending too much time on your road bike and you kind of subconsciously just let your legs go. You can let your legs stop for a split second and then your pedals catch up with your legs and it bucks you and your rear end will come up like a foot off of the surface and threaten to send you over the bars. And then you're like, oh, I got a pedal. Right. <laughs> well, by then you're like you, and you've actually probably got some souvenir splinters from the Atlanta velodrome as uh, well as. Yeah, some... I had a good crash there. <laughs> so the patched up skin suit. Yeah, I had a good crash. It, it was it was uh, pretty sweet though. Um, I I crashed and uh, I got back on and I ended up winning that race. Um, so this was that was so in an event. Yeah, it was actually the Quebec uh, Provincial Championships, and um, it was the points race. And uh, there were uh, Canadian national team guys there, and it was actually the only event of the five-day, or the uh, five-event Omnium that a national team guy didn't win. And so it was pretty you know, proud of myself, uh, cause it was my first year doing track yeah. back in 2014. It's amazing. Yeah. And what I, you know, the thing that like 
I think we both share incredible love for Canada. Um, you've obviously got family up there and the Canadian scene, you know, and this isn't obviously about Canada, but I think it's just one of those incredible places that whether it be road, indoor criterium or track, like, you know, you mentioned a subsidized velodrome that invites people to try sport at what is a pretty high level. You know, I think they do it really well up there, and I think we've both done plenty of racing. And it's one of those things where, like, you know, I invite any listener who, I don't know, thinks they have the code um, and they can share it with us. Like, there's something that they're doing in Canada, specifically mm. Quebec, because obviously that we have access to, that is just amazing. And they yeah. absorb the culture of cycling Definitely. like no other place. And like I said, if you have if you have the code, certainly ride in to us and let us know and uh we'll try to share that with the rest of cycling in america because we haven't figured it out all all the racing up there is affordable and accessible and And nobody's doing it for the money right you know you're you're paying your reasonable entry fee and they only pay five deep which for you know uh I, i know i'll call you guys out i know there are some racers out there and if you're one of them you're probably my friends you probably you know i know you and i respect you but a lot of people choose the races here because they look at what the payout is and how much it is <laughs> right. and how deep. <laughs> right. I don't think anybody thinks about that in Canada. <laughs> no. Yeah, I, I've honestly never really thought that much about that myself. Yeah. So they've got a culture and people show up and there are 40 kids, 14 to 16, and another 60 kids, 16 to 18. And those are the future of the sport and that's something that we certainly need to to figure out how Definitely. to to crack so all right man so the, uh, the 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 point is is that you know you went from this guy with the wacky bike with the duct tape and the the, the aero mesh saddle um <laughs> and the the iphone on front wearing a black skin suit um to becoming part of the 1k to go program and currently uh you know kevin I should mention this, you know, shameless plug here. You are a sponsor of the team with yeah. your actual vocation, right? And yeah. cyclingdoctor.com. And yeah. so, you know, of course we're going to have you on this podcast, but I think what really is important to note is that, you know, when you think about physical therapy or massage therapy um, or any of the physiological aspects that go into cycling, you are a much more effective doctor of this because of the fact that you understand cycling. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what cycling doctor is? Yeah. So it's basically, you know, I'm a physical therapist and it's basically just physical therapy directed specifically for cyclists. So because I understand a cyclist's physiology and body and you know, what they need to perform, uh, what they need to feel comfortable on the bike, what they need to be arrow yet comfortable. And that's, that's where, you know, the blend is with cycling fit. So, uh, with physical therapy, I specialize in manual therapies, otherwise known as massage, but it's like an advanced form of massage, I guess I would say. Uh, so it's everything from like chiropractic style manipulations to very deep myofascial, uh, work. Uh, so then on the other side of that is the bike fit. Mm -hmm. And so 
I'm not talking about doing a bike fit from the ground up. Like you just bought a new bike and we're going to fit you for that. Um, Bike shops are definitely the best people to set you up with your new bike. But when you get or have some kind of ache, pain, injury, whatever, then I want to take a look at what we can do to make you more comfortable, get rid of that injury. So it's a whole array of physical therapy interventions plus the bike fit component. Well, it's something that you and I have spoken about. I think it's like um, in my, I always hear about, you know, new bike purchases and fit, right? And then I hear about, um, you know, physiological ailments. And then I hear about like the coaching aspect of it, right? Which is like, okay, I need to be as fast as possible, which includes aerodynamics, right? And so um, you and I have spoken about that, like a perfect bike fit probably should be, you know, the, the people in the room should obviously be the athlete, but I would also say a physical therapist, um, a bike fit expert, and uh, I don't know who else should be in there. Probably the coach, coach, right? And so when you think about like that holistic approach, like what are some things? It's funny because as you were talking about this, I recognized like real quick like my posture, and I kind of tried to like sit up straight a little bit because as an athlete dedicated to cycling, I think we adopt the form of our bicycles. Mm-hmm. So like, what Definitely. are some things that you see from cyclists? that make them either more prone to either injury or less capable of just kind of being normal people because they're so, you know, adapted to cycling. Yeah, so I've seen that the cycling uh, pattern over and over and over again. I see all these cyclists that they come in and they have this forward head and forward shoulders, uh, the cervical spine, uh, the lower cervical spine curves forward drastically. And then the upper cervical spine, uh, hyper extends back in order for you to keep your eyes level on the horizon when you're in an arrow position. Uh, so I see a lot of problems from that. And then the forward shoulders thing, you develop a lot of tension in your pecs and your biceps, uh, the long head of the biceps right in the top of the anterior shoulder. Uh, and then a lot of weakness in the periscapular muscles of the upper back. Um, and then going down the, down the body, you, we, I see a lot of cyclists with super tight hip flexors, uh, and you know, tight back muscles, you know, they're not sitting on the bike properly. Uh, and then knee ailments with cyclists are kind of like 80% of it. Uh, and so how I address that is right from the foot. Right. Especially for something that's so actually good for your knees, if right. your body's yep. working properly, right? Yep. Like cycling is kind of like, as my orthopedic says, godliness for knee injuries. But yeah. if your body's not lined up properly, you're probably more prone to injury. Right. Interesting. So, you know, when you think about that, like, what? So, I, this is, I, it's, so it's funny because, like, as a, as a, you know, elite level cyclist, somebody who's dedicated entire winters to training, um, you get to the point where as a cyclist, what you're doing as a cyclist is so incredibly fatiguing and difficult 
that the last thing that you want to do after you know uh, let's say a hundred mile yeah. bike ride yeah is you want to lay on like, the couch with a bag of potato chips yeah, yeah. like you know you want to just yeah. chill like the last thing I want to do is get off my bike and do planks or right. push-ups or any like oh hey my neck hurt during that ride well maybe I should think about strengthening my my core and my neck right. but it's the last thing I want to do totally. once cycling season starts yeah so like what's your recommendation well, in an ideal world, you do all these kinds of physical therapy exercises and self-care in the off-season, you know, and really try to develop all of your weak areas so that you can cruise through, you know, a three, four, five-month, you know, hardcore race season and, you know, not worry about having to deal but an additional workout on top of your cycling exactly um but you know if you're super motivated uh you know you can definitely definitely take care of these things during the season Mm -hmm. uh there's no reason why you know you want to let uh racing get in the way of your health right well because like you think about it too like you know the more adapted you become to cycling, yeah. you know, let's face it, not all of us, and this is an important message, I think, is be, not all of us are trying to be category one elite level cyclists. Like some of us are still throwing our kids up in the air or maybe playing pickup basketball, even like mentioning that makes my knees want to explode. <laughs> but you know, like there's life that can get in the way or be impacted by the fact that you're like this one dimensional cyclist who exists on this like singular plane. You know, so I think like the importance of staying with that, you know, I think we all know it. It just becomes really difficult to do. Um, so during the cycling season, I think one of the things that most people are familiar with is, is massage, right? And so like, can you talk a little bit like if, if well, so if I were to, if I were to say like, hey, look, Bobby, like today you get to build a pro team, right? Like here's your budget. I would make sure that within the budget of that pro team, I would carve out a section that was 100% dedicated to massage therapy. So, you know, I know the benefits of it. Obviously, I've, I've seen you and I've had massage and I, I know, you know, how your muscles respond to that. But can you kind of explain like what it is that massage does for a sport like cycling or a cyclist? Yeah, so at the most basic level, if you're doing like a flush type of massage that almost any massage therapist could do, um, it's kind of just a light to medium pressure that's designed to uh, flush out, you know, blood and, you know, move things around so that you feel fresher. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, those dead legs, uh, if you're you're putting in high miles, your legs are going to be incredibly refreshed uh, from that kind of thing. And, And, you know, I... I guess it brings me back to a memory of my very first massage ever uh, was actually before the New York State Championships in 1993, I think. And it was a points race. And I had a just a little 10-minute massage from my coach just on my legs. And it made me feel so amazing. My legs felt so amazing. My mind felt on like I was like it just put me into the zone and I went out and won this points race uh, with a bunch of really good guys in that race is state championship so uh, otherwise known as the Empire State Games and uh, I knew from that moment on that 
I wanted to do massage as a profession at some point in my future. Because if it could help me that much, then I knew that it could help other people. Nice. Um, And and to be clear, this is not a spa day, right? Like, you (laughs) know what I mean? Like, let's let's clarify (laughs) this because... You know, there is massage, like you might get at the JFK JetBlue Terminal, right? You know, like a chair massage. And then there's a therapeutic massage for the purpose of, like you said, either recovery or rectifying any issues that you have with muscle fascia. Yeah. But it's no walk in the park, right? I mean, it's almost a workout. Yeah. So so the flush massage is super, you know, easygoing. Um, you know, you might imagine you're at the spa, but, uh, (laughs) but what I really truly specialize in is the manual therapy. That's relatively deep, uh, typically a myofascial release type of massage. And it can be pretty intense, uncomfortable. I don't want it to be painful, but Yes, uncomfortable. You almost need a recovery time yeah, period yeah, from you, a massage. You could be a little bit sore the next morning, but uh, by the next afternoon, you're all good to go. Right. And, and even better than before. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so we're with that kind of massage, like we're doing trigger points and myofascial release and just trying to release tissue, release muscles, make muscles relax because with specialized training – certain muscles get super jacked up with mm-hmm. tension and we're trying to allow the athlete to keep training just as hard but relax those muscles that are getting really really tight as a result of all that training right. and preventing it from going down you know kind of like the point of no return when you think about yep. fatigue right like there's fatigue and and muscle soreness if you get it go too far you need more recovery which is counterproductive to your training program right all right so you know one of the you know one of the hot topics i want to i want to bring up with you is obviously i think well i don't think it's just not in our sport anymore people understand that there is a certain aspect of performance enhancing that's in the news right And, and when we're talking about like drugs and um blood doping and things like that and so People are always looking for some sort of a physical enhancement, you know, whether it be cheating or your equipment or your approach to your body. So I'd ask you, you know, as a, as a therapist and somebody who understands the body incredibly well, as well as the athlete's mind, what's kind of, I don't know, like what's coming down the pipeline as far as like what's the next thing that we can do legally as an athlete to increase our performance? So the most important thing, I think, is recovery. And uh, if you can recover from your workouts, then you're going to be able to work out again sooner, harder, and race again, you know, sooner. And, you and, know. and recovery is downtime. Yep. And if you have downtime, it sounds like you're not making gains. So would you say like reduction of the time that it takes to recover or is that yeah so as far as uh like physical therapy manual therapy massage that kind of thing i really believe that that's going to shorten your uh recovery time but make it better Mm -hmm. you know make it more uh a deeper recovery and a 
shorter period of time so that you're ready to race or train again sooner than you would be without it. Yeah. Awesome. So like when you think about um, a professional athlete, obviously I think they've got dedicated time to this sort of approach, right? So like, you know, so for people listening, when you're thinking about a a professional cyclist, whether it be domestically or internationally, like what people don't necessarily realize is that they've got their A game for equipment. They've certainly got their A game for training and they definitely come with their A game for recovery. So if mm-hmm. you can imagine, you know, what life would be like where you get done with the bike, which is your job, and somebody hands you a bowl of food, right? Like rice and protein. Um, and then immediately you take hygiene into account, right? Like we probably get showered up and out of your training gear. And then as soon as you're done with that, you're on the massage table or some form of therapy. And that's your job. But when you're talking about a, I don't know, like me, right? Like, you know, recovering elite cyclist um, and now a father of two, like what is something that the everyday man should know about recovery who's still trying to compete athletically but is faced with, you know, bad posture from work or, um, you know, lack of sleep, but then still trying to go out like your classic weekend warrior and hammer the way that you know you used to be able to do. So where does the services of Cycling Doctor kind of fit in with that? Yeah, so the bike fit really helps you put in more miles harder uh, than you would be if you were poorly fitted to your bike. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, of course, all of the manual therapy and the self-care tips that I give and the therapeutic exercise all add up to helping you feel better while you're training, feel better after you're training, uh, get rid of super tense, tight muscles, and help you get back at it. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. Um, with you know your sponsorship of the team and whatnot. I mean, I imagine you're going to see uh, a wide gamut of things um, from different athletes. Like, what would you say is like the one thing that affects all athletes equally? Right. So, like, if you think about, is it overtraining? Is it um, you know, what's worse? Are you on your feet all day or are you sitting on your butt all day? Like kind of like what's one of those things that considering none of us are Tour de France cyclists with access to unlimited therapy, like what's the one thing that we could be that you're going to see as kind of like needs solving? Boy, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of common things I see with cyclists. Um, but, uh, you know, you've got what I call the, uh, the too much stoke syndrome. <laughs> so these guys are just overtraining, right. you know, and I, I've gotten pretty good at identifying who's succumbing to this too much stoke syndrome. Yeah. You know, these guys are training too hard. Uh, they're not getting enough rest and, uh, I help get to the bottom of that one. Yeah. Uh, and then there's all of the postural syndromes, um, there's this thing that I decided to call sagittal plane syndrome, which involves too much work with all of the flexors and extensors. Um, so hip flexors, quads, uh, hamstrings, gastroxoleus, that whole front and back of your legs. And I call it sagittal plane syndrome because that's the 
plane of motion. There's two other planes, the frontal plane and the transverse plane. Uh, so that's sideways motion and rotational motion. And with cyclists, all we do is sagittal plane motion, flexion, extension, all day long, pistons pumping away. We don't, you know, there's no rotational motion or sideways motion that translates to forward momentum on the bicycle. Right. And so uh, cyclists routinely ignore all of those muscles. And so what I end up seeing is a ton of people coming in that need to do some work for the muscles that do sideways motion and rotational motion. Stuff because, that we ignore. Yeah, um, because ultimately those become weak links. Even though they're not contributing to forward propulsion, they contribute to injuries in a big way. Right. And so they hold people back and uh, you don't know it until it happens to you. Yeah. So um, I help people, uh, you know, ident I, we identify you know, that that's actually happening and we get to work solving it. And so, so people can, you know, get back to what they love and with a minimal amount of homework. Nice. Nice. Um, how do people, you know, currently contact you? Like what are some of the resources that you have available to, to let people know? You know? Yeah. Uh, well my website, uh, cycling doctor, it's cyclingdr.com or the cycling doctor all spelled out.com uh, or just uh, Vermont Pain Relief, which right. is the original uh, name of my business in uh, Burlington, Vermont. So you'll find uh, a link to schedule your own appointments. You could certainly call me. I probably won't answer because I'm either with a patient or I'm out biking or skiing. Uh, you could also text me at that number, which is actually more effective than a phone call nowadays. Uh, but I'd strongly encourage people to just book themselves online. Uh, and yeah, well, we kind of like talked about it, like as if it was a, um, you know, somewhat of a cycling specific service, but you know, what are some of the, I mean, is this something that is covered by insurance? Because we're actually talking about like, you know, uh, some part of the healthcare. Like this yeah. isn't just to be a faster cyclist, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, well, this is the greatest part of it is that you don't have to pay me $250 an hour to get these services. Uh, this is, you know, the, the bike fit component, the therapeutic exercise component, the man manual therapy component. They're all legitimate physical therapy interventions. If you have aches, pains, or injuries, uh, then, you know, we can work with your insurance company to bill for these services. And uh, it's minimal, you know, investment from each patient. So it's just a copay. Or sometimes there's a, a deductible, um, but... You know, it's usually pretty affordable. Well, what I like about it is, is like, I'm, you know, I'm certainly no expert in the health care industry, but obviously we've all had treatments and we've all had, you know, surgeries or ailments and whatnot. And what's really cool that I think people should know about is, is that when you're working with somebody who has lived an athletic life, who pushes themselves to the limit, right? Like you are not just there to make somebody 
functional again. And by functional, like what does that mean, right? Does that mean that you can get up from your couch and, and feed yourself or change the channel on the TV? Like I would say athletes and people with an athletic background are hyper-functional. So, you know, to see somebody like Kevin means that not only is he going to fix you from the foundation, but he's also understanding of like, hey, I don't want to just be fixed. I need to be like running high octane again. And, you know, I think that's really a, that's an important thing because I think the ceiling is raised because of your knowledge of what athletes expect out of something like this, which is applicable to any sort of person just looking for some sort of physical therapy. Would you say that's kind of like a, a good point that people know that they can get the basics of therapy from you, but then beyond? Yeah. Yeah. That sounds perfectly accurate. Nice. Yeah. All right, so we've kind of dived into schema. We had some fun with that. We talked about cycling. We talked about the business. But um, you're obviously an incredibly interesting guy, and you come with like some cool stories. You know, what are what are some things that we're missing here that would be entertaining for the crowd? Oh, jeez, <laughs> put you on the spot, man. I mean, you got he's got post-it notes here, people. He's got stories to tell. So, oh God, uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I tell a lot of stories. Um. <laughs> well, what's been one of the most interesting things that you've done? Because this is a cycling podcast in cycling. Most interesting thing I've done in cycling. Jeez. Well, you've done the Rasputitsa on yeah. a tandem. Yeah, I did Rasputitsa on the tandem and, uh, and, and didn't even have a fight with, <laughs> with my girlfriend at the time. But, of course... She's not my girlfriend anymore. Nope. So, okay. but it didn't. Rasputitsa didn't break us up. Um, yeah, I just try to involve as many outdoor activities, including cycling, in my life as possible, and just try to bring the stoke to uh, to my life and try to inspire other people. Um, try to make accomplishments, set goals, and you know, keep things going. Yeah. Nice, man. Well, it's, it's, it's cool because like, um, you know, without getting like, I think you're one of the more, I think when, um, like Adam and I talk about you, we're like, man, Kevin lives a charmed life, right? You've got a cool condo on the mountain. Um, you're incredibly dedicated to winter. I know you're incredibly dedicated to family. You're incredibly dedicated to sport. And, um, you know, when you just pull all those things together, you seem to be living, you know, your best life and you've got a profession that allows you to ground yourself with athletic people, but also, you know, alter your schedule so that you don't have to turn your back on your own athletic endeavors. Yeah, I try to keep as much balance as possible and, uh, you know, work really hard, but, you know, definitely sort of self-actualize, I guess, and, you know, try to try to stay stay in as good shape as possible and do you know as many different cycling disciplines as possible you know i like to mountain bike uh you know kind of enduro style not cross country um you know go as hard as i can on the downhills and then you know the gravel bike the tandem the track bike the road yeah. bike the time trial bike you know the nice. <laughs> the nice. whole deal every possible discipline i I can get a hold of and so yeah. hopefully you know in a week I don't ride the same bike twice yeah that's awesome well cool so I mean I think you know the takeaway here uh, Kevin sums it up with that um, you know living your best life possible you know dedicating your time to something that you truly enjoy and of course having the 
the health benefits from it. So, you know, I want to thank you for being on this podcast. Um, thank you. Yeah, we're incredibly, to use your, your word, stoked to have you as a part of the team this year. Um, I think from an advice standpoint, you know, more is going to be coming out as, as our team comes out of hibernation and our new clothing arrives, which will have the Cycling Doctor Can't logo wait. on it. Yeah, so tomorrow our sponsor Garneau is, is set to deliver the new kit. So the, the nice thing is, is that Kevin is not just a, a sponsor from afar. Right, you're going to be the guy at a lot of these rides, so you know certainly encourage everybody to just talk to him because if there's anybody that knows the um, the human body of an athlete, um, it's it's Kevin. So you know, stoked to have you on board, stoked to have you talk to the people, and as always, if you guys have other questions, you can either funnel them through Kevin's website, um, cyclingdoctor.com, or directly to the podcast website, which is podcast at one k to go.com. So Kevin, thanks again for having me up here, man. And, Thank uh, you, Bobby. Yeah, we look forward to chatting more. Awesome.